Are you sitting quite comfortably? Then I'll begin. Hey kids, comics! Clark Kent has a job. I just want to go on a date. Faulty metaphor. Kryptonite kills. You're assuming I met the green kryptonite. I was referring, of course, to the red kryptonite which drains Superman of his powers. Wrong. The gold kryptonite's a power sucker. The red kryptonite mutates Superman in some sort of weird... Guys, reality. Besides, I can just tell something's wrong. My spider sense is tingling. Your spider sense. Oh, stay behind and put around in the back cave with crusty old Alfred here. Ah, oh, no, I don't know Alfred, so no, you forget Alfred had a job. But gee, Mr. White, if Clark and Lois could all the good stories, I'll never be a good reporter. Jimmy Olsen jokes here pretty much made me last time. Sorry. Avengers Assemble, let's get it going. Hey, kids, comics! Hello, everybody. Hello, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is Hey, Kids, Comics. It's a very well, professional series tone. Welcome back. Today. I thought it was a very good introduction, though, wasn't it? Mm. I quite enjoyed that. I think we should do that more often. Straight in, no nonsense. Yep. No flobble. No flabble. Whatever flobble and flabble is. Well, that professionalism lasted. <laughs> All of 30 seconds. <laughs> oh, we're shocking. Any preamble? What happened this week? Uh, Anything interesting? Nothing major, no. Oh, a new Superman movie came out. I heard about that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Michael and I went to see it last night, lovely listener, did we not? We did, yes. Because it was two for one. Yeah. At our local multiplex. Last night at, of recording. At the, as of recording, yeah. Two weeks' time, it'll all be forgotten and we'll have moved on to... Is Thaw out next? I think so. I think we'll Thaw all be friends out. again. We'll all be friends again, yeah. Uh, the movie was widely anticipated, but dogged with controversy since its inception. Mm-hmm. Did you know that? Uh, I did not. Well, firstly, the announcement that Christopher Nolan was involved... Right. And that David Goya was writing it was met with cries of, they're going to make it to the Dark Knight! Which mm-hmm. is a fair comment, yeah. I suppose, because that's the the previous film. Then Zack Snyder was picked as director, and there was an outcry again. I don't know why, I quite like 300. Yeah. And I quite like Watchmen. Mm-hmm. And I seen Sucker Punch. No. So I don't know if that's any good or not, so I, I didn't really have any opinion. Conniptions were had across the land, though. Yes. Apparently. Then the casting, obviously, mm-hmm. caused huge controversy. You know, Lois was a redhead, yeah. ignoring the fact that Noel Neal was a redhead in the 50s. Mm-hmm. But traditionally, Lana Lang's the redhead. Yes. But Smallville pissed all over that. Yeah. So, at this point, you know. Who cares? Yeah. Um, Perry was black. So does that mean his name's Perry Black? Very funny. <laughs> I've, full confession, I don't know if I've stole that joke. Mm. I can't remember. It seems too obvious for somebody not to have made it. It seems too funny for you to have made it. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate <laughs> your, your saying that. You know, for the amount that he was in the movie, he could have been played by a green bagel, couldn't he? <laughs> I want to see a green bagel on screen now, he actually. He didn't... You know, what was he in it? About five minutes I on screen. That, Lois. Oh, I'll eat you instead. <laughs> now, Lois. <laughs> I would like to eat Lois, I think. Um, Jimmy was a girl. Which did irritate me a bit, but the movie didn't confirm one way or another. Oh, it? right, that was Jimmy also. I don't know. All right. That's what I'm saying. Originally, it was put out, though, she was Jenny Olsen, and Jimmy had had a sex change, but it's never confirmed or denied in the film itself, is it? Hmm. I mean, unless it is in the credits. Yeah. But we were too busy shouting, Tomo Peniket! When the credits came out, weren't we? It's Mr. Gator. And Gator was in it as well. Yeah, that was quite good. Um... Of course, the casting of Superman itself caused huge controversy. Mm-hmm. Huge controversy when they didn't cast a native Kryptonian. <laughs> oh, do you know that the, the Kryptonians were actually in uproar? And a bl- the blimey that caused ructions. They were boycotting that film. They I heard. certainly did. Yeah, you think people had never heard of acting, mm. wouldn't you? 
Seriously, if this bugs you, I've got six words for you. Robert Downey Jr. as Sherlock Holmes. Yeah. So that's, you know, because he's really Kryptonian. <laughs> I think. <laughs> so anyway, the film came out, the internet melted down, we went to see it. Arguably, I became more interested in seeing it because of the reactions. Mm-hmm. That's what got me going. And uh, what did we think of it? Well, it was alright. It was alright, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Emails! This week, uh, our first email is from James Hunt. Hello, James. It's nice to hear from you. The subject heading is more powerful than Superman and faster than The Flash. Not bad for a diabetic comic geek on a bike. <laughs> I quite like that subject heading. Mm. That's quite fun. Hey, cool Leyland and not so cool Leyland. Well, we don't know which one's which. We do, but let's just leave it there. <laughs> and let you think whichever one you are, and I'll think whichever one I am. I quite like that idea. Yeah. Uh, this last month of podcasts seem to have been dedicated comics that have personal connections to me. We did that deliberately. Yeah. I got in touch with James. I wired up his brain to some Framistat doodat that rerouted his neurons and mesons through the anti-flux capacitor generator thingy. Right. And I read his mind. Because yeah. I can do that kind of thing. You couldn't have just asked him which comics had a personal connection to him. Or alternatively, I could have done that. I didn't think of that. Mm. Anyway. Um... Yes, Civil War, continues James, was my first introduction to the wider Marvel universe, and to be honest, I won't go into my feelings about the story on the reread. Andy summed it up brilliantly himself. Oh, so you didn't like it then? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were swearing off Civil yeah. War. I just got fed up of the, the waves of <laughs> negativity, most of them coming from me. Yep. It's quite hard to be buffeted by yourself. <laughs> Next, though, was Spider-Man Blue, the first trade I ever bought. I remember being in Liverpool because my sister and mum were looking at the university and I was left to wander the city centre. I was exploring the shops and was wanting a Gwen Stacy fix. I think it was Harry Osborne who wanted the fix. Yeah. I don't know why, but I just wanted to read more about her. When I was in Waterstones, I found Spider-Man Blue on the shelf. I immediately fell in love with Tim Sale's artwork. I just had to get the book. That afternoon, as my sister was being shown around the university, I read Spider-Man Blue in the Liverpool Library. It's a fantastic story and really touches an emotional nerve only great writers can get to. Jeff Loeb is one of my favourite writers as a result of this story and Long Halloween. If you haven't heard Kevin Smith's interview with him, it's definitely worth a listen. Uh, Yeah, that episode of Fat Man and Batman was very good. Mm-hmm. My only problem with it... Kevin Smith was in it. No, 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 I'm daft. I don't mind Kevin Smith. He's all right. He's harmless enough, isn't he? I'm being nice this he, week. He can't get off his toilet. I'm, I'm, I, am, I am hopefully feeding out positive waves throughout <laughs> why, the, why are you doing the that? medium <laughs> of the interwebs. Because I feel, that, I feel that we need more positivity in our lives. That's just my, my feeling. No, largely because he'd already said all that on Radio KAL. So, shout out to Radio KL, who got it all first before Kevin did. I like Radio KL. It's good. Steve Eunice does it with Mike Baylor. Good show. Heartily encourage you to listen to it, if you like Superman. If you don't like Superman, it's probably no point you're listening to it. <laughs> but then I can't imagine that you would be listening to it if you didn't like Superman. Should I just move on? <laughs> yeah. Before I tie myself in knots. Now an update on my bike ride. Oh, very good. From London to Paris for Diabetes UK. It went well, although I did manage to break my bike by pushing it a bit too hard. Guess my legs are like Superman's. I have raised over a thousand pounds. Again, the donation page is justgiving.com slash James hyphen hunt six. And we heartily approve of that, James. And if you've got a couple of shekels in your pocket that you want to give in this spirit of positivity then somehow try to convert that shekels in your pocket into... Into internet money yeah. and send it to James. Because <laughs> that's a worthwhile cause, and we, we approve. 
Riding into Paris, I began to no- notice posters for a certain man in blue who had a new film coming out on the 14th of June. Is the new Smurfs movie coming out? I think so, actually. Excellent. Controversy over who's, uh, who the cast who is Carcamel. Carcamel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Cloud, but from Only Fools and Horses. <laughs> Except he's, he's dead now. <laughs> he's got a dog instead of a cat, and that's caused quite a bit of a stir. Uh, uh, oh dear. I don't think there could have been a better inspiration for people after nearly 300 miles to see him looking over us and reminding us how good people can be. Man of Steel was excellent, in my humble opinion. Superman is a guy I love and is in my top three heroes. He is truly an inspirational superhero. If only someone had done a podcast dedicating a month on Superman stories through the decades, that is a damn fine idea. And we'll get right on it. Yep. By pointing you to the archives <laughs> where we already did it. Mm. And we did it for two months. Just just pointing that out. Two whole months. Two whole months. Eight weeks mm. of non-stop super duper Well, you know, it was great. It was super. It was super. Well done. Mm. Very good. I like that. Anyway, thanks for doing what you do. You're very welcome. I've got the Green Lantern movie on now. Ooh. <laughs> Don't know why, because it's actually as bad as I remember. Just some background noise, though, which I think is the best use of it. Till next time, James Hunt. You're very welcome, James, and congratulations on your ride into Paris. We uh, we hope it all goes well for a thousand pounds, a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Five of which was mine. So, nice I don't, little percentage. I, I don't mind saying. <laughs> I don't. I contributed to James because you know. I, I I feel we should encourage our, our listeners in doing these positive things. Mm-hmm. I would do something positive like that if I could be better at getting off my lazy ass. <laughs> do you know, I went running for the first time yesterday for a year. I Is managed that- eight minutes. You haven't gone for a year? No, I haven't gone for a year. I've been doing the cardio stuff to see oh, if it yeah, did yeah. any better. And uh, I used to be able to do like 45, 50 minutes, didn't I? Mm. Eight minutes I managed. I came home. <gasps> it was absolutely shocking. So I've got to start again. Mm-hmm. Start at the beginning. Work my way up. Anyway, our next email. Some say that he's a beacon. A shining beacon of light. All alone in the night. And that he's the last of the Babylon stations. I call him Luke Giaconetti. Luke Giaconetti 5. <laughs> it was the dawn of the third age of Luke Giaconetti. <laughs> Actually, that, that technically is true. He has just spawned his third. Yeah. Congratulations, Luke and Mrs. J, once again. I know we've said it before, but you can't say it enough, I don't think. Mm-hmm. My relaunched but totally not rebooted British friends. Oh, I don't know. I think I'd like to be rebooted every now and again. Marvel now, huh? I like this episode because I'm not reading much in the way of Marvel, so this was very enlightening for me. Andy mentioned that DC and Marvel are always going back and forth and twisting their ideas around and putting their own spin on them. Is there anything more telling for this that Axel Alonso is at Marvel and Bob Harras is at DC? The only Marvel Now book I'm reading is Iron Man, which I very much enjoyed and hope you guys will cover it on a later episode. Yes, that that's yeah. coming up in that way that, no, we completely forgot about doing Iron Man. Although we've not read it, have we? No. I've not read Marvel Now, Iron Man. I'll give it a go, see what I think of it. Unfortunately, the other new boot which Marvel put out here, which I was interested in, is Morbius, the living vampire. For reasons I cannot comprehend, Morbius was not tagged as Marvel Now, despite being a new number one, and spinning out of the events which led to Superior Spider-Man. And the book is now ending at issue nine. The heck, Marvel? And of course, a lead like Morbius is not as trendy as a lead like Captain Marvel, which, despite selling less, is constantly hyped and pushed by Marvel. So they abandon the book immediately upon its release and then throw their hands in the air in confusion and say, well, I guess people don't like horror characters, and pump out more lame X-books and randomly casted Avengers spin-offs. 
Maybe Morbius will pop up in Superior Spider-Man tangled with Ox Spidey. Would you guys like to see those two throw down? If Ox Spidey's more vicious than Peter, a fight between those two would escalate quite quickly, I think. I would totally be down with seeing Morbius fight Otto, Otto Pete, mm-hmm. or Spider Ock, or Spock, as I believe people call him. Ah, Morbius, my arch nemesis. No, leave me alone. Well, see, see would he know who Morbius was now? He has now divulged himself of all Peter's memories. But Dr. So Octopus not Dr. Know Octopus. I do not recall if Dr. Octopus has ever had any dealings with Morbius. Mm. I certainly don't remember if in the main Spider-Man book he's ever had any dealings with him. So it's entirely possible. Although, oh yes, he has. In the issue of Fantastic Four where Sue Richards miscarried, yeah. Otto Octavius and Michael Morbius were two of the scientists that Reed Richards brought in to analyse her to see what was wrong with her. So he does know who Morbius is. Just answer me on question. Mm-hmm. Luke continues, I've thought about picking up Indestructible Hulk, but passed. Hulk is one of those characters which I like, but have never pulled the trigger on collecting. I did enjoy the Loeb stuff, though. This one is definitely a different beast. Hulk working for S.H.I.E.L.D.? Talk about high concept. Sometimes high concept books fail because the concept is essentially a one-trick bit of cleverness, but Wade's concept here seems to have a well-built story engine, which would allow it to have some legs. Both you guys enjoying it is also an endorsement for me to pick it up and give it a shot. Uh, yeah, the Walt Simonson ones I thought were brilliant. Mm. You've not read them, have you? No. You keep meaning to go back, but you've started Preacher again. I have. I yeah. mean, I hardly encourage a reread of Preacher. Mm-hmm. And while you've got them all down, I may do it as well. Because, you know. In preparation for something else, we've got In problems. preparation for other plans. Mm-hmm. Let's touch our nose in a, an enigmatic <laughs> way. I actually did as well. Yeah, <laughs> this is audio. People can't see me. But, you know. I like to act these things out. Mm. It's well it's well established. There was mention of Iron Man fighting Blaster. Luke continues the living bomb burst. I want to say, the last time we saw Blaster, he was the king of the negative zone during War of the Kings, wherein he and the army had seized the negative zone prison. He was eventually overthrown, and I'm not sure he's shown up since. I always like Blaster, and if you other guys ever do a second Fantasticast promo, I would like to read a line for him. I'd totally have you as Blaster. I like Blaster. He's just a big thug with big with beams that shoot out of his hands. He's great. Fair I'm enough. a big fan of Blaster. By the way, chicken fried refers how to meat is breaded and then pan fried, similar to how proper fried chicken is made. You can chicken fry chicken parts, boneless chicken, steak, pork, bacon, etc. The difference between chicken fried and country fried is whether they are covered in white gravy or brown gravy, and that depends where you are in the country. Yeah, southern food rocks. Sounds Sounds very suspicious, like Scottish food to me. (laughs) Oh, you want that Snickers fried? Uh, No, I think it's already 400 calories on its own. Oh, no. No, it's 2,000. (laughs) Not enough calories. (laughs) You can never have enough calories in your Snickers bar. Well, they all beat each other up, so they're losing the calories anyway. (laughs) The Scottish are lovely. I won't have a word said against them. (laughs) Daredevil, eh? Continued Luke swiftly, moving us onto new territory before we can get beaten up. Never occurred for the character at all. I read the first couple of issues of this series, and whilst they were good, I still couldn't get into it. I really did enjoy Wade's assertion that Matt was going to use the power of positive thinking to get himself back to a more positive and healthy place in his life, and the art was fantastically energetic. But at the end of the day, I couldn't engage with a character whom I have so little connection to. I've long said that even though Daredevil is a character I'm not particularly interested in, and I can appreciate why his fans like him, and I'm happy they have such a neat comic for him right now, and not more non-stop doom and gloom. See, I love Daredevil. Mm-hmm. But I've always liked solo heroes, haven't I? Yeah. I was never a team player, was I? 
I didn't like the Avengers. I didn't like, you didn't like Spider-Man being on the Avengers. I didn't like Spider-Man being on the Avengers. Captain America I liked a great deal, except when he was with the Avengers, didn't care. Mm-hmm. The only team books I liked was Teen Titans and Fantastic Four, and arguably they weren't team books. Yeah. They were a bunch of friends who hung out and got into trouble. They were all like the famous five, in many yeah. ways. But, yeah, all right. Famous Fantastic Five. Yeah, I'd love some Daredevil. I think Daredevil's brilliant. We need to do a Daredevil season. What do you think? Mm, I don't know. Maybe we've got some plans for that. Maybe we have. We're definitely going to do Devil Yellow. Yeah. Because Blue was just awesome. Is that another moment to touch our nose? Touch our nose in a, an enigmatic <laughs> way, yes. Um, nice which episode. Which did again. Which I did again, even though this is audio. Nice episode, guys. Thanks, Luke. I really liked hearing about these books I am not picking up. <laughs> Can't wait for the next one. Two more books I'm not reading. <laughs> well, we aim to please. Uh-huh. <laughs> Luke. Yes. Nice use of the Incredibles music, by the way, in this episode. Great soundtrack to a great movie. Any chance you guys will cover it at some point in the future? I don't know what we'd say about the Incredibles, other than, wow, that was good. Because mm. it is good. Unless we did a commentary it's... in which we'd just be watching the film. Yeah, and the problem with doing the Incredibles commentary, I'd just be sat there going, that bit was great. That bit was great. That bit was great. Oh, have I ever told you my Disney story? Oh. When Mr. Incredible threatened to punch me because I touched Mrs. Incredible's bottom. No, have I never mentioned this? Have you not seen the photos of me and your mum with Mr. Yeah, and Mrs. Yeah. Incredible? Is she Mrs. Incredible? No, she's a lasty girl, isn't she? Yeah. I prefer Mrs. Incredible, because all women are incredible. I've just appealed to our female demographic, though. Did you like <laughs> one of them? So anyway, we're having our picture taken with um, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Or elasti girl, whatever you call her. And uh, we, they put our arms, and you put your arms, and I, I inadvertently put my arm around her waist right. for having the picture. But my arm... My hand went down to the buttock. Right. Yeah. It was it accidentally. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't real. You don't do that in Disney. <laughs> they kick you out. But it was inadvertent and I did not mean it. And it was accidental and, and all that gubbins. And she kind of glared at me. And Mr. Incredible came over and lifted his fist up at me. And I said, it's okay, dude. It was an accident. I didn't mean it. And he went, all right. Okay. And then he took his photo with us and it was very nice. And then on the way out, I snogged her in the face. <laughs> I didn't do that, but that's that's my incredible, Mr. Incredible story. I'm sure he's a lovely man. If they'd have refused to actually let you take photos of them, I'd have been very upset. Yeah. Frozen was there as well. Yeah, I like Frozen. He's funny. Did he find his super suit? Uh, he must have done because he was dressed in it. PPS, I'm human and I need to be loved, just like everybody else does. Doesn't everybody? Mm-hmm. The words to live by. They are words to live by. Everybody needs somebody. To love, which is a completely different song. Mm. Find me somebody to love. Our next email is from Paul Spataro. Civil War and Marvel Now. Not more Civil War. (laughs) (laughs) It won't go away. (laughs) You signed a contract and it won't leave you alone. It was like G.I. Joe for a bit, but I'm actually interested in the idea of covering some G.I. Joe. I have got no interest in going back to Civil War. Okay, anyway. Hello, A&M. Hello, Paul. How are you, Mr. Spataro? Get on with that trailer for Back to the Bins. Hope you're both well. We're as well as can be expected, I suppose, all things considered. With regards to the Civil War discussion, I have a few comments. It is likely that Speedball was charged and convicted with criminally... I'm not going to be able to say this. Criminally negligent homicide. 
Well, that was quite good for me, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. This is a charge most commonly applied when someone causes the death of another when driving whilst intoxicated, but can be used in other instances. It would seem it would be applicable in this circumstance. A person is guilty of criminally negligent homicide when, with criminal negligence, he causes the death of another person. A person acts with criminal negligence with respect to the result or to a circumstances described by a statute defining an offer when he fails to perceive a substantial and justifiable risk that such results will occur or that such circumstance exists. The risk must be of such nature and degree that the failure to perceive it constitutes a gross deviation from the standard of care that a reasonable person would observe in the situation. See Penal Law Section 15.05, Paragraph 4. Is the Paragraph 4 not... I, I, I think I understood every third word. Yeah. I just find it funny that a person guilty of crimin- a criminally negligent homicide is when with criminally negligence. <laughs> yeah. Well, Paul's a lawyer, so he probably understands all that. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> That's who we go to when from sues us. <laughs> hey, Paul. Be, Paul could be our Matt Murdock. Yeah. How awesome would that be? Dress him up as Daredevil yeah. in the courtroom. That would be brilliant. And then we'd just get the, the, the thing would be acquitted because we were obviously insane. <laughs> Paul's emails continue. As far as sales go, I was among those who continued to purchase the boot despite now looking back and not feeling that it was very good. I would attribute that in a small part to the collector mentality that keeps us buying boots once we start in order to have a full run. However, that's only part of it. When it was being released, there was buzz that was going on around this title that this was to be a universe-changing event, which I guess it was to some extent. I recall wondering how would they be able to retcon their way out of the Spider-Man unmasking, never suspecting they would eventually do it in such a lame manner. Even with the poor characterization, it wasn't until the last issue that I read that I realised how much of a poor taste the entire series left in my mouth. I suspect that the sales figures reflect that others had the same experience. The series had the potential to be a great presentation of the characters in a real-life type debate, had Mr Miller made any effort at all to present both sides of the argument, and how his characters actually act consistently with their established personas. That said, I'm really enjoying your Marvel Now coverage. Your coverage of Captain America has me thinking I might revisit it after the story arc is concluded to see if I enjoy it more in full form. On an issue-by-issue basis, I thought it was lacking. On a related note, the theme from the movie playing behind your discussion has convinced me that I was wrong about the Marvel movies not having recognisable themes for the characters, although I was still maintain that the theme will never seem to be iconic. Oh, I don't know. I think the Captain America score is brilliant. Hopefully they will continue to use that theme for Cap. He is the only one of them, I grant you, that has had a good theme until Iron Man 3. Where that that end credit bit of Iron Man 3 with that music dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum-dum was brilliant. Okay. I've listened, I listened to that tons. It's did great. the Captain America soundtrack not sound a lot like Back to the Future? It did have elements of Back to the Future, but it doesn't sound as much like Back to the Future as James Horner's score for Amazing Spider-Man sounds like Star Trek Three or Aliens or Titanic. Fair enough. Because there's always a or moment like in James Horner's scores where he goes, soundtrack sounds, sounds like duba, 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 duba. every other Hans Zimmer soundtrack. And James Horner's always after... <laughs> In there somewhat. It's true that. <laughs> a little signature. Yeah, a little signature. Um, so yeah, the Captain America one's the best of the lot. Well, the Avengers is good. The Avengers has a good theme. But the Captain America one's... Dun, 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 dun. I like that theme. I also like the Star Spangled Band, which I'm not going to sing, because I will <laughs> not be able to get it out of my head for the rest of the night if I do that. Are you sure? He's the Star Spangled Man with a plan... I love that song. <laughs> I really, really do. I love it unironically. Because mm-hmm. I know in the film it's supposed to be this ironic pastiche of 40s propaganda. Yeah. I just love it. I just think it's a great <laughs> song. I'm not even, I'm honestly, lovely listener, I'm not being ironic. I love that song. Tell them. 
he, he loves that song. Tell him, Steve, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I think it's brilliant. Dee 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 do the goose stepping goons from Berlin. Dun, dun, dun. Anyway, moving the on. Goose stepping goons. The, the, the goose stepping goons right. from Berlin. It's brilliant. It's a great song. <laughs> <laughs> continues not on the subject of soundtracks which is a shame Rick Remender has been highly acclaimed for his work on Uncanny X-Force and Fear Agent two series that are currently on my to read list lastly I would highly recommend the initial run of Young Avengers by Alan Heinberg it's a solid run that was apparently only hurt by Heinberg's slow output due to other commitments well with a bit of luck if it's all in trade form that won't be a problem mm-hmm. I've got Next Wave on the go at the minute because that keeps being I keep being told by that that I'm not a comics fan if I've not read Next Wave <laughs> Apparently it is very good. Uh, and I'm currently working my way through Darwin Cook's Parker, which Angela bought me for my birthday, which is fantastic, isn't it? Yeah. Absolutely brilliant stuff. I've, I've still only read the first story of the score. You've read the whole thing now, haven't you? Yeah. Yet. That's it for now. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. We appreciate that, Paul. Paul, P.S. With regard to Nitro being the actual cause of the death, I don't believe there is any rule that prevents the finding of concurrent causes and no reason why they can't both be found to be legally responsible, although you may have to speak to a criminal lawyer on that one. Well, I'm not saying... I don't think I said Speedball wouldn't be tried with something, but he didn't actually... Oh, no, because pretty civil war... <laughs> Moving on. Our final email tonight, so hopefully we can bring this in under the 30 minutes, is Rob Stubbs. Hello, Rob. Shields and arrows, oh my. Should that not be shields and arrows and burrs? Oh my. Like lions and tigers and burrs. Oh, oh my. I, I guess. The Wizard of Oz. If you go on hunting burrs with arrows and shields. We're going on a burr hunt. We're going to shoot a big one. <laughs> We're not scared. I've got a badass bow and arrow. Because <laughs> I am Hawkeye. <laughs> Take Hawkeye on your burr hunt. Hello, Michael and Andrew. I would add some catchy greeting, but my brain has gone on strike. Okay, fair enough. So let's just go off and kill some dinosaurs as a bonding. What have the dinosaurs ever done to you, Rob? In this in this age of, I was going to say prosperity, but we're all going down the yeah, toilet yeah, yeah. financially. In this age of positivity, in this age of Hey Kids comics, the positive generation. What would that dinosaur we're ever do to you? We're ourselves as Marvel now, Hey Kids comics, the positive generation. The positive generation, yeah. Although dinosaur meat, yum. Mm-hmm. Tastes like chicken. It does. Everything <laughs> tastes like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. <laughs> Oh, Rob continues you would think because I've read both the issues you talked about this would make it easy to write some pithy remarks instead of my usual style of winging it but it's harder to do that for whatever reason I didn't dislike either issue but my favourite of the two was Hawkeye issue 3 but I will deal with Captain America issue 1 first I am against restarting issues for the most part but to think I differentiate this room from Brubaker's this was an appropriate thing to do in this case I am also glad he starts right off with the action instead of a long drawn out multi-issue introduction we have Captain America hanging off an aeroplane that's in a steep dive as he thinks to himself about fighting three days trying to reach the green skull. Instead of a long word balloons, the fertiliser <laughs> I still love that he's doomsday fertiliser. Uh, the doomsday fertiliser is shown in action as in trying to take out Captain America. Captain America shows the difference between him and the people he fights as he saves the Green Skull from certain death, as the Green Skull doesn't appreciate this and tries to shoot him in the head. We're reminded what day it is as a cop pulled over a woman who's trying to talk away out of a ticket. It's July 4th, which is Steve Rogers' birthday. What a huge coincidence that is. Mm-hmm. Steve Rogers' Captain America's birthday happens to be July the 4th. Oh. Was that one of the criteria for the Super Soldier Serum? <laughs> that was the bottom one. <laughs> oh, if he meets all the others but wasn't born on July 4th, we'll still have him. Mm. But, you know, that would just be icing on the cake, wouldn't it? Anyway. 
guy's character beats as Captain America floats down and drops off the green skull and lets the cops to call the Avengers to deal with the plane which comes crashing into the water. I assume the buttons they push are holographic activators to cover up their outfits, otherwise what comes later makes no sense. I assume the flashback that is used to set up the future events in the next issues... But I am torn as I am uncomfortable with violence towards women, but it feels slightly hypocritical to hold that position in a work of fiction where I am fine with violence between men or violence between women. Oh no, the mysterious train from nowhere is a trap. I am shocked by this. As there are observers on the train, Zola can wait until Captain America shows up to investigate. So if Carter had went instead, he, meaning Zola, could just not bring the train back or take her as a hostage to certainly bring him to the lure. Good lord, in that one panel, Sharon Carter's head is huge. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Mm. It was quite big. Zola is scurrying this with a sense of menace about him instead of being comic looking as he's been displayed in other books the action scenes are good even though there are moments where you're puzzled such as the shield landing after jumping out the window especially when you later realise the child is in there I think you made that point didn't you mm. uh, it's a good solid B plus comic bro now we get to the issue I like best bro Hawkeye in his civilian identity as Clint Barton, having things happen to him. The art is okay, as it isn't bad in the ways I despise, but I don't love it. Oh, come on, the art was fantastic! Mm-hmm. It was pretty neat, bro. It was it was excellent, bro. Mm-hmm. Bro. It's his, his birthday card material. It certainly is. Michael made me a birthday card out of that issue. Mm-hmm. He didn't cut the issue up. No, no. Obviously, scanned it and did stuff. Of course, the vehicles are well done, and the scenes invoking car chases are excellent, in all honesty. I love the caper movies where the bad guys are after something or someone a great deal, and that's what this is. I think the tracksuit mobsters are hilarious with their tracksuits and their multi-usable declarations of, Bro! Bro! It gives them distinctive yet also blank as a guy in a tracksuit looks just like every other guy in a tracksuit. Using bro means they are not giving away names, as if they are off doing nefarious deeds. I enjoy the way the issue is set up, where we start with the car chase scene in progress with all the characters in play, then jump back to the starting point, then back to the opening scene. At no point was I lost or confused by the transitions, which other writers have not managed to do. I love the idea that this starts from Clinton Kate at the apartment and him deciding he's to label his trick arrows, which requires tape that he doesn't have. It's all so ordinary, except for the trick arrows, of course. The issue combines humour with a car chase that ends in a really satisfying manner. As to the scene where the tracksuit mobsters break into the room, I think their entire purpose was to get the girls. While the spray of bullets could have killed Clint and didn't, they weren't aware of who she was with at that point. After they realised who it was, they only wanted to knock him out so they could get away clean as dead Avengers would bring down the heavy hitters on them. I can matter for another three paragraphs breaking down scenes, but I'm cutting myself off. Sadly, I have never picked up a girl while off buying labelling material after seeing the car she was driving. Your American pal who leads a very dull life these days. Rob. P.S. I have been at least one car chase, but there was no trick I was involved, or a ginger in her underwear bound and gagged in the back seat. She was only a brunette. It was not gagged or tied up. I'm glad he added that last bit. <laughs> Otherwise, we'd be backing away very slowly. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you to everyone who emailed in this week. We brought that in under 30 minutes, which always impresses me. Um, listen to this trailer that Paul and um, Bill have made for the Avengers. Um, an Avengers show not the Avengers because the film was out a year ago it'll be pointless making a trailer for that and we'll be right back with Steranko's Captain America show you off the 4th of July innit okay Bill are we ready sure Paul oh wait be right back I need my Avengers omnibus Uh, where did I put that thing while Bill looks for that let me tell you about our new endeavor Two True Freaks has grown and Back to the Bins is growing with it I, Paul Spataro, along with Bill Robinson and Scott Gardner. Just say his name three times in an email and he'll appear in your show. Hey, how's it going? Ah, sorry, sorry. I forgot I had a Scott Gardner life model decoy in here. Be right there. Ow! Ow, 
put Cap's shield there? <laughs> anyway, we're looking to showcase various characters, storylines, issues, or whatever strikes our fancy from the world of the Avengers. Hey, Ben, move that funny-looking hammer, would you? It's, it's on that book, and I can't move it. Sure thing, Dad. Where do you want it? Uh, over there somewhere. No! no! Watch out for the repulsor! Ow! Ah! Oh! Ah! Don't tell your mother. We like to call it Avengers Spotlight. I thought it was going to be called Old Avengers Never Die, They Just Get Reassembled and Sent to Another Earth. What? Too wordy? Who knows what we'll cover, and who might stop by? So join us for the Avengers Spotlight, where we'll look at Earth's greatest heroes and some of comics' greatest stories, such as the Korvac Saga, Acts of Vengeance, the Kree Skrull War, and... Oh, for the love of Christ, who the hell put the Celestial Madonna Saga on this list? Huh. I found a use for that life model decoy after all. Okay, found it. We ready? <sighs> hey, wait a minute. This is the book of the Vashanti. <sighs> Forget it. See you soon, everybody. My favorite Avengers are D-Man and Green Lantern. Say goodnight, Scott. Goodnight, Scott. And we're back. That was very low key, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah. But we're going for a low key, was, yeah. mellow vibe today, aren't we? We're chilling out, we're maxing, we're relaxing all cool. Yeah. Playing some b ball outside of the school. Mm-hmm. When a couple of guys who were up to no good. Well, they started making trouble in my neighbourhood. I got in one small fight, and my mum got scared. And she said, You go live with your ugly belly! That's exactly how she said it. Oh, I swear, lovely Lester, we've not been drinking. This <laughs> is just us normally. All this positivity. <laughs> All this positivity's going to be head. I'm going to have to vent about something in a minute. Um, anyway, we're back with another look at the Star Spangled Avenger, Captain America. Because it's the 4th of July. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yes. Apparently something important happened today. I don't know what. Me neither. Can't uh, do can't be anything that concerns us. No. Yeah. Uh, a particular run of Captain America stories from issues 110, 111, and 113, published in late 1968 and early 1969, and written and penciled by comics legend Jim Steranko. Jim Steranko was born in Reading, Pennsylvania on November 5th, 1938. Now, November 5th, there's a date that means something to us. Yeah. Steranko spent his teenage years engaged in petty criminal activities such as stealing cars and guns. His attempts to be an escape artist were apparently the inspiration for Jack Kirby's Mr. Miracle. After careers as a guitarist, a fire eater and a card trickster, he approached Marvel Comics where his raw energy led Stan Lee to give him a shot on the Nick Fury strip in Strange Tales. Why does he suddenly sound like the most awesome artist there is? <laughs> <laughs> well, after being involved in petty larceny and then he was a fire eater and, a, and an escape artist. Yeah. This appeals to you now, doesn't it? Like, can you imagine if uh, at conventions when Jim Lee's doing his little <laughs> little drawings, he's eating fire at a time and <laughs> shooting at a target on the other side of the room. That would be awesome. Whilst escaping from like a straight jacket. All the while drawing with his feet. Yeah. That would be that would you are correct. My opinion of Jim Lee would skyrocket <laughs> if that were to be the case. Mm-hmm. That would be. Because, you know, Steranko, he does like he sleeps four hours a day. Yeah. He lives on a diet of nuts and berries. 
Right. And he runs 400 miles a day. He's in his 70s now, and he still services four women a day. <laughs> four different women. Right. The guy swears by this lifestyle. <laughs> and there's a part of me that's like, he actually looks pretty damn good for somebody in his 70s. So there must be something to it. So, fair play to the guy. Steranko completed his first major works for Marvel Comics in 1966, where he had a phenomenal run on Strange Tales and followed this up with Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., where, with his powerful layout and design skills and the unprecedented control of big writer, penciler, inker, and colorist, he redefined how a comic book can look, producing a work of pop art psychedelia influenced by fine art and foreign movies. Steranko's run won three Fan Alley Awards in 1968, but also ran afoul of the comics code when one page from Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. issue 2, depicting Nick Fury and his then-girlfriend, the Countessa Valentina, in their off hours, was so suggestive, without so much as a glimpse of naked flesh, that the code asked for two panels to be changed. One, a panel of an off-the-hook telephone, was replaced by a shot of said phone with the handset firmly in its cradle, whilst the other, the final panel of the page with Fury and the Countessa embrace, was replaced by a shot of Nick's Fury's rather large gun tucked neatly into its holster. To say the code's changes made the scene even more suggestive is a slight understatement. Numerous other panels, normally of female anatomy, such as the rather tasteful backshot of the Countess's shapely bottom, was coloured over, and Steranko frequently had cleavage lines moved from his female characters. It was a far more innocent time, wasn't it? Compare that to today's comics. Yeah, boobs, ass... Yeah, Frank Cho. Headshots. <laughs> Head Ed Benes. <laughs> Ed Benes, who made Barbara Gordon look spectacular. They're real and they're spectacular. His work on Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., took the then-popular Bond secret agent formula and applied it to comics. Some of the plots may be a little heavy-handed by today's standards, but the art is still a textbook example of layout and shading, and, like Neil Adams' contemporary work on the Avengers and the X-Men, light years ahead of its time. Steranko left Fury behind in 1968, where, despite the magnificent and groundbreaking artwork, the book had never managed to be anything more than a cult favourite, and followed it up with a short two-issue fill-in on the X-Men with issues 50 and 51, and, along with the aforementioned Neil Adams, successfully introduced a more realistic interpretation into comics that artists like Jim Starley would later follow up on. These two artists, more than anybody, were not content to simply ape Jack Kirby. Rather, they were intent on elevating comic book art into just being art. End of. Stranko then contributed a cover to the Incredible Hulk annual issue 1 from October 1968, a justly iconic image of the Hulk being crushed by the weight of his own logo before taking over Captain America for a three-issue stint that gave one of the oldest of superheroes a pop art makeover and an energy that dragged Cap kicking and screaming from the pulps of the 40s and the Kirby-inspired 60s into the film noir shadings of the 1970s. Over his career, Steranko only did 30-odd comics as writer or artist, but his work was innovative, experimental and cinematic long before other creators came along to make widescreen comics, and because of his talent, he passed through comics relatively quickly, with his last full strip appearing in Superman issue 400 in 1984. Steranko moved over into advertising, where, by his own admission, he could make considerably more money than in comics, and contributed design work to Raiders of the Lost Ark and Bram Stoker's Dracula. He provided the covers for numerous paperback novels, including The Shadow, and a wonderful Empire Strikes Back cover for Preview magazine that manages to make Star Wars look more pulp than ever. He published the two-volume Steranko's History of Comics in 1970, the first book of its kind about the making of comics that sadly never produced any more of its planned six volumes, and left an indelible mark on comics, arguably changing how many future artists would look at and lay out a page. 
The inspiration for this look at Captain America was the exile at the edge of eternity from Superman 400, which we covered as part of our Happy Birthday Superman series, where Steranko's artwork was still ahead of its time 15 years after it first saw print, and one of Michael's favoured stories in that anthology issue. I thought a decent primer for Steranko in his prime would be this, one of his most critically acclaimed runs on Captain America. I'm reading this in the Marvel UK Collector's Edition annual from 1981, which reproduces the cover for Cap 111, but sadly removes the concentric circles from the bottom and changes the colour of the background to yellow. Featuring a sleek, svelte-looking cap in iconic pose, numerous Hydra agents, including the Skull logo of that August organisation, and a Bucky running towards Cap. I actually think it looks better with its original white background, to be honest. Also, the colourist makes a mistake. Cap's red stripe is supposed to be of the belt buckle, not a white stripe. The original cover for the issue of Cap 110 has a huge-looking Hulk breathe on a building and destroy it as Bucky flees and Cap girds himself for battle. You know, that is something that gives me nerd rage when they get that wrong. <laughs> I don't know why that irritates me. The red stripe goes above the back buckle, so, not the white stripe. So what about when we redid it and it was split in two? I don't rate that at all. <laughs> it's my humble opinion. Um, yeah, this is my 1981 annual. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. Mm-hmm. Hardcover graphic novels before there were hardcover graphic novels. No Longer Alone was a Stan Lee Steranko Association inked by Joe Sinnott and lettered by Sam Rosen. And what a relief it is to read such short credits after a month of Marvel now, mm-hmm. where everybody's dog gets credited. I was just expecting Aunt Toto <laughs> at the end of some of that. The story runs thus. A young man walks the streets of New York, pondering, tortured yet driven by duty. Steve Rogers. Yet his reverie is interrupted by shaking streets and shattering buildings as the green behemoth known as the Incredible Hulk brings terror to Times Square. Steve dodges gunfire as a phalanx of troops follow in the creature's wake and declare martial law. Steve switches garb and in his stead stands the form of Captain America, who arrives just that bit too late to prevent the troops from opening fire on the mighty behemoth with some Kirby tech. As Cap orders the troops back, he approaches the fallen man-beast, but is warned away from the newly arrived Rick Jones that if the Hulk is still alive after the barrage, he will be uncontrollable. True that, as the Hulk strikes madder, stronger than ever. Cap comes off this first confrontation admirably, and Rick attempts to reason with the raging monster. The Hulk snatches Rick, destroys the mighty weapon which felled him, and attempts to leap away, but just as his mighty leg muscles coil in preparation, Cap leaps forth and steals Rick away. The Hulk leaps into the night. Cap takes Rick to Avengers Mansion to recover, declaring that Rick should never return to the Hulk lest the beast hurt or kill him in carelessness, just as Cap's own carelessness caused the death of his wartime buddy Bucky Barnes. Rick awakens and raids the closet, emerging dressed in a dead man's clothes, the costume of Bucky. Cap freaks out, but quickly realises he may have overreacted, and allows Rick to train with him. It will be a baptism of fire as the Avengers alarm sounds. They learn the location of the signal and descend into the sewers where the hordes of Hydra are attempting to pollute the city's water supply. Madam Hydra orders Cap's death at the hands of an agent wearing an exoskeleton. Cap is seemingly defeated and Rick flees the agents hiding in a sewer pipe. Having eluded the agents, Rick heads 
back to Madame Hydra to throw himself into the fray, but this just scotches Cap's plans, which was to infiltrate Hydra, disguised as the agents who had seemingly destroyed him. Hydra opened fire with flame bazookas, but Cap throws his mighty shield, shattering the underground water pipes, and the pressure quickly threatens to engulf the Hydra agents. Rick is captured by Madame Hydra, and she throws him into a convenient whirlpool that has appeared, but Cap catches Rick just in time. Madame Hydra leaves her troops to die and pulls a fast fade as Cap tells a despondent Rick that they managed to thwart Hydra's plans this time. Rick vows he will be as good a partner as Bucky. Page 1. A wonderful noir opening to the story. In a sequence of small panels at the top of the page, a figure draped in shadow walks slowly through the New York streets, illuminated only by a single streetlight. He stops before a torn publicity poster of Captain America, advertising Cap's presence at a benefit, and lights his pipe. Again, the character's face illuminated only by the flame of the matchstick, but this time in a three-quarter length panel. Excellently done. The image represents the larger-than-life majesty of Captain America, the poster dominating the panel, with the lonely figure in a dirty alleyway who's behind the mask. Absolutely magnificent. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love that he's wearing a trench coat. Yeah. It's very noir. But as far as publicity posters go, it's not the most... It's not, no, but it works for the story. As publicity posters go, it's actually pretty piss poor, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. It's just a shot of Captain America's head. It's not like he's even doing anything dynamic. No, he's, he's, not, he's not smiling or anything. No. He's actually got very, very big lips. He looks like he's had collagen injections. Yeah. On that. On that uh. But no, you're right. As a, as a poster, it's, uh, it's quite quite poor. you think it'd be a dramatic pose. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of some, I mean, I acknowledge that this was before Photoshop. But you'd think that uh, Cat would have been willing to pose for a few photos for this benefit. doesn't say what the benefit's for, does it? Mm. Just as a benefit performance. It's a headless picture as well. But it's his head. Yeah. Why is it headless? Well, because it's got... Oh, I don't mean headless, I mean... You mean it's, it's, it's a decapitated yeah. head picture. So yeah. basically they cut Captain America's head off and make <laughs> that photo. No Captain Americas were hurt mm. in the making of this poster. We made sure we... Uh, <laughs> Numb them first. Maybe that's the 50s Captain America, because nobody cares about him, does it? <laughs> they kill him off, nobody's bothered. Uh, page two, Stranko again lets the art tell the story. As the top panel, filling the width of the page, is a close-up of Cap's eyes in the poster as Steve stirs into them. His face is stoic, but his mind troubled. But when the action kicks off in the next sequence of panels, quick staccato shots that close in on Steve's face as the walls around him shake, before opening up the layouts again into a half-page shot of the Hulk's massive hands smashing through a wall. This conjured up images of the Hulk's hands breaking through the glass in the 1977 pilot movie, where the emphasis is on the size of those limbs and the damage they can do. There's nothing new in this kind of storytelling today. Many of today's artists may not even know the debt they owe Steranko, and Neil Adams seems to take most of the glory, but this was revolutionary stuff at the time. I'm particularly fond of the last panel on this page which is just the Hulk's hands breaking through a wall although I do have to say when Steve Rogers said two green hands smashing through in my head it was immediately followed by somebody save me did that not did that not come to your head no two green hands smashing <laughs> through come and save me no mm. just me then probably okay did you not like me, Remy Zero? It was very good. Yeah. I thought it was it was it was mm-hmm. barely adequate. Anyway. Um, page three. 
Steve changes to Cap in one of those moments we take for granted as comics readers. Steve seemingly removes his trench coat and suddenly he's dressed in full Cap regalia. No mention of where his pants and shoes go when in the next panel he's only holding his coat. Unlike the cover, the red stripe of Cap's torso is above the belt buckle <laughs> in its correct place. I don't know why that bugs me. Mm. It really does, though, every time I see it wrong. You know his art looks like a detailed mix of Remita and Kerber. He does have... There is a Remita-ness to it. Mm. And certain panels are laid out very Kirby-esque. But the way he structures his panels and the way he moves the size of the panels and how he lays them all out on his page is uniquely him. Mm. And it's weird, it's one of those things, it's hard to convey just how normal this is now. You probably didn't read this and think there was anything unusual about it. No. But at the time, if you think about it, we were getting nine panel grids or six panel grids or four panel grids, and that's yeah. what we were getting. There's some pretty neat panels there. Yeah, yeah and Steranko was experimenting with full length panels across the page and smaller panels building up to a big panel, mm. and then later on, two page spreads. Yeah. Which was pretty unprecedented for the time that this was published. It's absolutely fantastic. I like also his Hulk's very lean, mm. isn't he? Whilst he's still obviously muscular, he's not bodybuilder muscular. He's got quite a, a tiny waist yeah. compared to what we normally think of as being the Hulk. Page four, Steranko draws a magnificent Hulk and seems to give great emphasis to his hands. In addition to the introductory shot of the creature, the Hulk's hands will be predominantly featured on pages 5, 6 and 7. Here, the troops who don't seem dressed like standard army personnel are oddly coloured green. Wheel out the Hulk's stopping weapon and its glorious piece of Kirby tech. There is a part of me that does tire of the constant Kirby shout-outs in artwork, but it makes sense to me that all the tech in the Marvel Universe would have a uniform feel. Mm. and would look like Jack Kirby designed it, or more probably Reed Richards designed it. Yeah. So I'm never, I never mind that, because there's nothing else Kirby about that. Mm. Well, maybe a little bit of the pointing. I just find it funny that all these police officers have a massive Kirby Tech cannon for the Hulk. Yeah, they just carry around with them. <laughs> yeah. Where did that come from? I mean, that's, that's something else later on in the issue as well. Madam Hydra, in issue three of this story, yeah. will pull out this huge Kirby Tech weapon. Where was she hiding that? Or do I just not want to know? You don't want to know. Was it a miniature thing? And she pressed a button and it gets bigger? Oh, no, it was Did big she stroke it and it, it, <laughs> it, it expanded? I, I don't know. I don't know where it came from. Uh, page six, the fight between the Hulk and Cap is short. Earlier page long, which you would expect hmm. in a fight between the Hulk. But Cap does manage to stun the beast with a two-footed kick to the head. Granted, I've got no idea how Cap isn't nursing a pair of broken wrists after being manhandled so badly in panel three, but fair play to him for getting a decent hit in, because the Hulk quite clearly breaks his wrists though, doesn't he? Mm. Or if he doesn't, I can only assume Captain America has steel-plated wrists. Mm. Would explain a great many things. I like it. On the next page where uh, Rick Jones goes up trying to calm him down, he just gets thrown away. <laughs> and the Hulk just tosses him <laughs> off. Well, uh, he grabs hold of him, doesn't he? Yeah. He doesn't toss him off. 
which would be a, a completely different kind of story, one would imagine. Uh, page seven, once again, we see the Hulk's anger focused. He grabs a hold of a streetlight, tears it from the ground, and hurls it with dead, deadly accuracy at the weapon that stunned him, destroying it handily. Again, the Hulk does not aim his ire at the men who are pursuing it, merely the weapon they use to kill him. Although this Hulk does seem to be portrayed as, a bur- as an out-of-control monster, barely recognising Rick Jones, Steranko draws him in every panel as being enraged. If anyone is in these three buildings destroyed in this rampage they're not mentioned and the Hulk disappears he's here simply as a reason to introduce Rick Jones to the narrative and then leave for those not in the know Rick Jones is the teenager who in the comics Bruce Banner saved from dying in the gamma bomb explosion that infused Banner with gamma radiation thus transforming him into the Hulk so it's all Rick Jones's fault. Uh, he's never been transferred over to live action in this capacity, although he did receive a quick cameo in Louis Leterrier's Incredible Hulk movie in 2008. He's one of the guys that they're interviewing on campus, and the yeah. other guy was Jack McGee, which okay. was a nice little touch. Mm-hmm. Made no sense, yeah. but it was a nice little touch. Did you like this opening? Yeah. And all you've got? Yeah, it was all right. It was pretty good. <laughs> Well, you said, though, it just serves to introduce Rick Jones. Yeah, the, there was a couple of, of Marvel comics around this time where the Hulk would show up and destroy some stuff, and he and served just no purpose, really. He was there just to do something. There's an issue with Daredevil that Miller did yeah. very early in his run, where the Hulk just shows up and trashes stuff and beats the crap out of Daredevil and he ends up in hospital. Was the TV show not on at the time? Uh, the Hulk TV show was on at the time, yes. So that would probably explain yeah. it. <laughs> Crossover potential. <laughs> uh, how stupid of me not to have realised that. Uh, page nine, again, Steranko does something here that we see all the time nowadays, but this was new when Steranko did it. The top panel is actually one large panel crossing the entire page, split into four. The larger images of one room with Rick Jones lying in bed in the foreground, whilst the background image of Cap walking away is split into separate panels. As Cap walks, the eye is taken with him, giving the room a larger context than single panels would achieve. Such a simple idea wonderfully executed. See, loads of people do that now, don't they? Mm. And Steranko pulls that trick off a couple of times in these three stories. I don't remember if he did it in S.H.I.E.L.D. He probably did. Yeah. Because I've only read... I've read a lot of them, but it was a while ago. I like how on the... Um, bottom middle panel which he does a few times in the issues where he just writes the, the narrative on the walls or yeah that's kind of Will Eisner isn't it yeah that he'll put the uh, the captions on the wall of whatever he's whatever room he's in uh, I find it interesting every time we see Steve Rogers as well he's in shadows like a true tragic noir hero yeah even I mean there's a couple at the top where he's walking into the shadow but every time he's Steve Rogers, he's the shadow covering his face. Mm. Whereas when he's Captain America, he's full-on colour. I thought that was a nice little touch. That mm. obviously we wouldn't have got originally if it was published in black and white. Yeah. But works well in the colour comics. Base 10. Did Cap not think it a little bit weird that Rick just helped himself to Bucky's old costume and basically said, Make me your new partner! And how did Bucky's costume get here? Was Bucky not wearing it when he plummeted into the Atlantic Ocean? A replica, maybe. You're right. Well, Why would he keep a replica of his dead partner's costume? Right, okay. He's not Bruce Wayne. That's not the worst thing that goes down on this page. It's not. No. This is like, Cap realises he's not too old to have a new partner rather than slap Bucky around, <laughs> or slap Rick around a couple of times. Like, for, thanks for, for sa- in his closet. Thanks for saving me, Cap. I'll return the favour by being annoying, rooting through your personal belongings, stealing your dead partner's <laughs> costume and dressing up as him. And then, you know, I'll demand that you make me your partner, old-timer. <laughs> Actually... 
Rick is all of those things throughout the three issues. <laughs> Annoying, demanding. He's actually quite a pain in the arse in this story, Rick yep. Jones. Cap really wishes he did throw him in the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Cap wishes he'd thrown Rick in instead of Bucky. <laughs> so the next time I'm holding an Avengers meeting, I'm holding Bruce Banner responsible for you. <laughs> next time there's an Avengers meeting, I'm going to throw you at the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. Oh dear. Page 11, you've got a marvel at the simple way this is set up. Two pages. And Rick is set up as Cap's new partner and a new Bucky is born. Mm. It's very economical. And if I'm honest, not very credible. No. Is it? Um, it seems very rushed, and so does the next scene. The Avengers alarm rings, and then the next shot is Cap and Bucky. It's not Bucky, is it? It's Rick disappearing in a manhole. A rookie. A rookie. Yeah, that'll do. From now on, he's rookie. <laughs> I like that. Um, the next shot, they disappear in the manhole. Like I said, then there's a caption saying that they've analysed something that told them where the alarm went off. So does that mean that the Avengers have alarms all over New York? Apparently, yeah. Do they spend all the time just answering false alarms? Like a pigeon set this off. Or one of those crocodiles that lives in the sewers <laughs> has set off one of their alarms. And Thor's like, verily, it was nothing other of those crocodiles. And Iron Man's like, they're not real, dude. <laughs> or, or unless uh, he goes down to the sewers and it is a crocodile and gets annoyed, he just throws his hammer at the crocodile. Yeah, so <laughs> crushes the poor thing. Um... Further to that, it, Rick is never referred to as Bucky throughout the story. Mm. Ever. In yeah. all three issues, he's never called Bucky. Which does raise a point that I'll probably come to later on. Uh, page 12 through 13, Storanko opens up for a wonderfully detailed two-page spread of Cap and Rick attacking the hordes of Hydra. This is visually stunning, and again, there's a great piece of Kirby tech indicating that Hydra are up to no good. Why do Hydra need this many people for this job? Yes, the tech looks quite heavy. So a few men would be needed to lift it and then maybe someone to operate it and Madame Hydra is just there to give orders and look good in spandex. But it seems like there are more Hydra troops here than at the Battle of Normandy. Um, see, they got the heads cut off. So some more grew to yeah. take their place. <laughs> Very good. I like that. Um, I'm also getting the idea of some comics code interference here. The Hydra goons firing on Cap clearly show cartridge shells being loosed from his weapon, but the dialogue states they're using stun rays and flame bazookas. Again, comics code interference makes this worse as being burned alive is a horrible fate, <laughs> but it actually removes any sense of jeopardy. If Hydra only have stun guns, where's the danger to Cap and Rick? Yeah. In contrast to the last two stories. The comics just seem really silly. Random. Well, it's like with the Batman animated series, where instead of the Joker killing people, he just left them with a massive with the grin Richter's on their grin. Face. Yeah. And the, well, have you read that Batman animated book? Mister Happy Head cannot punch Joker yeah. or something. What? What's the note? It's like can't kick him in the face or whatever. with Mister Happy Head yeah. or something, which is quite funny. Yeah. Sometimes standards and practices of the comics codes interference actually make it worse. Hmm. As evinced by the Nick Fury thing. Yeah. Nick Fury's huge gun thrust into his holster. That's not suggestive in any way. Not at all, no. And if you look at the original art, which has since been published, when they've republished those issues, they've put the original art back together. The original art is actually quite tasteful. Yeah. It's the Comics Code's interference that made it worse. (laughs) So they've only themselves to blame, to be honest with you. Uh, Pages 14 through 17... 
is another gorgeously choreographed fight scene by Steranko, and as cinematic and impressive as anything being produced today. It also seems a very down and dirty fight, with a lot of close-up hand-to-hand combat occurring, rather than balletic fight moves. Cap orders Rick into the tunnels, and the way he covers his escape with the shield bouncing around everywhere is great. At the top of page 16, we get the Hydra Mantra. Immortal Hydra. We shall never be destroyed. Cut off a limb and two more shall take its place. And the, 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 is it contractually obliged yeah. that they say that at least three times every issue they appear in? It's like Hal John having seen <laughs> Oh, in Blackest Day and yeah. Brightest Night and all that stuff. Uh, I'm still unclear why Madam Hydra is in a sewer wearing high heels and long velvet party gloves. The Hydra plan to contaminate the water supply also seems a little lacking. To what end? Don't they talk to the Joker? This plan never works. Mm. This felt very much like a MacGuffin to me. It was here just to get Hydra into the story with not really a lot of thought given to the logicality of it. I just thought of this first issue, though, really. Yeah. It happened for no reason. Stuff don't think about it too much. To just set up the future. Yeah. Just look at the pretty art and, and just go with it. Uh, Cap does some excellent moves on page 17 taking down the guy wearing the exoskeleton with what looks like two headbutts and then he smashes him into the wall with his shield mm. oh, come on that was a great shot mm-hmm. that was absolutely fantastic page 18 Cap is doing another one of those things we take for granted as a comics reader he's wearing the disguise of the Hydra agent over his Cap costume this is done all the time and if you stop to actually think about it it's really dumb it's not quite as bad as Batman wearing a mask over his cowl yeah. But it's it's up there, isn't it? So he's gone to all the effort of putting the entire Hydra outfit on. Yeah. And the exoskeleton over his Captain America outfit. So he's wearing two pairs of boots. Yeah. That's that's pretty much it, yeah. And then it, they just rip it off. Yeah. But his real costume is left untouched. Mm. Very impressive. If he's got the exoskeleton on here, though, would that not make Captain America stronger? It would, yeah. Because that just seems to get not mentioned at all does it Mm. it would presumably augment his strength as well and he's already stronger than a normal man yeah so in theory this Captain America is now super strong he goes on that rematch with the Hulk and kicks his ass take Rick back (laughs) like Cosmic (laughs) Spider-Man did yeah (laughs) Rick Jones is annoying here have him (laughs) I don't want him Uh, page 19 is kind of really the only sour note in the issue in an otherwise exceptionally well illustrated and choreographed fight scene the end makes very little sense Rick exposes Cap Cap smashes the water pipes with his shield and the Hydra goons fall into the water deluge Madam Hydra has a whip that she gets around Rick's neck and points a gun at his head all very well and good but then on page 20 instead of killing him she tosses him into the torrent where all the hydragoons have been sucked into a whirlpool, which came from whir. The whips disappeared and Cap, who was on the other side of the room, is suddenly dangling from a precipice and able to catch Rick to prevent him from sharing the fate of the hydra morons. This felt exceptionally rushed at the end and not worthy of the excellence that began the issue. Did that whirlpool just appear and not make you go, what? Yeah. I, I didn't really pay too much into it. So yes, a whirlpool. Though. <laughs> yeah, a whirlpool's just appeared. It makes perfect sense. Yeah. I can totally accept. Someone that. unplugged the sewers. <laughs> that's, that's where a big plug was. Yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I like that. Um, I did like the foreboding of the final shot. Cap tries to console Rick 
who, let's be honest, was a real liability throughout the entire issue. First to the Hulk and then to Cap. And as the duo leave, there is a warning sign stating, Caution, danger ahead. Whether this means future issues, we can only wait and see. But I think it's it's a pretty sure bet that it does. Yeah. This was a wonderful example of this era of comics. Whilst it is a single issue, there are seeds planted for future stories. New situations and characters are introduced, and the story moves along at such a great clip it allows you to ignore some of the illogicalities, such as exactly how did Cap Shield make a whirlpool in the middle of the New York sewer system that seems to disappear right into the centre of the Earth? And does Cap not feel slightly creeped out that Rick just puts other people's clothes on at random? What if she'd been a woman? Maybe you'd have enjoyed that. There's also so much in this issue from the first third, which is all about a random Hulk attack to an even more random Hydra attack. And along the way, Cap is every bit as damaged a character as Peter Parker, here constantly lost in thought over the death of his wartime partner. The art carries the story, however. Steranko's explosive panel layout, small when the story is intimate, double-page spreads when the action kicks in, are aided by Sinnott's clean inking style. Their homages to Kirby, the army Hulkbuster technology, and the Hydra equipment is pure Kirby tech. But the storytelling is all Steranko. Fast-paced, character-led melodrama. 60s Marvel in a nutshell, basically. What did you think of it, Michael? I thought it was good. And it wasn't the, the best of them. And it was all relied heavily on coincidences. Yeah. Well, like you said, the first issue, it's purely set up. Yeah. This burly holds together as a story in and of itself. Mm. It does... But there's an awful lot of it that makes you scratch your head and go, wait a minute. Well, that, and it's not really all that much of an enjoyable story when you want to slap Rick Jones about for the duration of it. Yeah, Rick was a bit of a tosser in this story, wasn't he? Mm. It's a good job I know that under Peter David's hand he does become tolerable and starts playing in a band called Seduction of the Innocent. Fair enough. Which is quite good. And then he goes off in another Bendis band and then... I presume Bendis the has probably killed him at this point. Isn't he a Hulk now? Kill- I've no idea. Isn't he A-bomb? Yeah. yeah. Is that his name? Mm. I always mix A-bomb up with A-train from the boys. <laughs> that's two completely different things, isn't yeah. it? We don't want to mix A-bomb up with A-train. No. And certainly A-train doesn't want it, because he'll <laughs> end up taking something from behind. Anyway. <clears throat> Tomorrow You Live, Tonight I Die, originally from Cap 111, was another Lee Steranko Sinnott Rosen production. The original cover for Cat 111 was the one on the cover of the annual that we discussed earlier on. Steve Rogers attends a meeting with Nick Fury at the Penny Arcade. However, Fury never shows, for this is a Hydra trap. Steve reacts with alacrity and makes quick work of his would-be killers, although one escapes. He returns to Hydra base where Madam Hydra bestows upon him the warrant of death for his failure. Back at Avengers Mansion, Steve makes Rick Jones feel like a boob for even trying to compete with Bucky, and Rick mopes off to listen to some My Bloody Valentine and read Cap's mail. Last issue he robbed the dead man's clothes, this issue he reads somebody else's mail. Boundaries, Rick? <laughs> anyway, the male is drugged and Rick trips out, seeing dead Bucky's skin melt off his body and bizarre portents of death, before passing out and being picked up by two Hydra goons. As they leave, Cap arrives back and instantly knows something is wrong. Donning his costume, he leaps outside and engages the enemy, but Hydra shoots the agent Cap captures twat rather than leave him to talk. Steve moans that his lack of a secret idea has caught up to him twice in as many days, and he returns to the Penny Arcade for a clue to Hydra's whereabouts. This is, of course, a trap, and Madam Hydra has left the man-killer, though, to 
well, kill Cap, presumably. Meanwhile, Rick has escaped because Madame Hydra is actually quite incompetent and heads to the Penny Arcade where he heard her mention when he was feigning unconsciousness. Madame Hydra is also being chauffeur-driven to the arcade because evil does everything in style, and Cap is actually finding the man-killer to be hard-going. It opens its chest to let loose a volley of missiles, but Cap uses his mighty shield up close and personal to block the missile, and they backfire in the man-killer's chest, destroying it. However, it may be too late, as Rick and the Hydra agents arrive simultaneously, and Cap leaps from the Penny Arcade into the drink and right into a hail of Hydra bullets. Hydra flee as sirens respond to the disturbance, and they pluck a bullet-ridden costume and even a flesh-coloured mask. Is Cap dead? And was Steve Rogers a fake identity? <laughs> Tune in tomorrow night. Same bat, t- same Cap time. Bat Cap channel. Same Cap channel. <laughs> um, page one. The Penny Arcade snapshots are well laid out by Steranko and are very much a snapshot of the era. However, Steranko makes it look like the arcade is busy with lots of people who just disappear in the following pages. Unless everybody, though, was a Hydra agent. Well, that middle panel, though, the blue one, yep. that's Madame Hydra. Yeah, that was only later on I thought that that is possible, mm. that everybody, though, was a, a Hydra agent. Why was Madame Hydra there, though, when she doesn't actually show up? I don't know. In the other page. Is she just there to watch? Yeah, yeah. That's what she does. Yeah. She shows up in a slinky nightgown and her high heels, mm. watches everything goes to pot, and then blames everybody else yeah. for her own incompetence. And those ducks as well. Yes. The work of the Hydra. <laughs> Cut off one duck yeah. in the shooting range and three martial appearance yeah. plays. Although it does seem like the, the little uh, <laughs> fortune finger, it says, tomorrow you live, tonight I die. Hmm. Right? Yes. Which is the title of the issue, which is actually really, yeah. s- really subtle, I thought. There is, like, yeah. But what if someone other than Cap picked it up? Well, if we are correct in our assumption that everybody there is a Hydra agent, mm-hmm. then it's unlikely anyone else is going to pick it up. But if there are <laughs> normal people... Well, they'd just be out of luck, wouldn't they? Yeah. yeah what if you'd pick one up saying, uh, go and buy a fortune cookie, or they will show you a prosperity? That's not really a good title for the issue, is it? <laughs> not really. I wouldn't have thought. Yeah, Although those three uh, creepy-looking girls in the bottom left panel, they're definitely working for Hydra. Yeah, they look like they should be in The Shining, don't they? Mm. Very creepy. Uh, pages two through four is uh, a really well-done fight scene. Seeing Cap fight without his cowl is a standard occurrence today, especially in the movies, but it was quite rare at the time. Again, Steranko does do some Kirby-style art here. The first and last panel of page three are very Kirby, but the approach is a lot more gritty than Kirby's stuff, even though it has the sheen that Joe Sinnott brought to Kirby's work. Hydra even went to the trouble of installing a killer robot in the machine where you can outdraw the cowboy, which gives us a great visual where Cap hurls his shield through the droid, cleaving it in twain. It's a great panel, but it's odd that the Hydra mooks just give up, Mm. which they do. They just leave. They almost have Cap on the ropes and clearly have him outnumbered. So why they just left is is never mentioned. To add to the unintentional humour, Steve says, Hydra never give up, despite them having just done... That is that thing. Mm. So I, I was I was too busy finding it pretty cool that Captain America was fighting Yul Brynner. Well, Yul Brynner is bald, dude. This guy's got her. All right, it's it's Robo Jonah Hex. It is. It, it does. If, if Jonah Hex was in Westworld, it did conjure up images of Westworld. That's very true. Which is awesome. Mm. Let's watch more Westworld. <laughs> Let's watch the sequel. 
was having a good. I don't know. I've never seen the sequel to Westworld. Probably not. Beyond Westworld, no. and I've never seen the short-lived television series that followed the sequel. Fair enough. I think that was called Beyond Westworld. Was the second one called Future World? No, Beyond Westworld, Beyond the Thunderdome in the Westworld. <laughs> That'd be quite good. Two men enter what my leaves. Can you outdraw? <laughs> Can you outdraw <laughs> Tina Turner? <laughs> um, with that in mind, page five doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Mm. I'll say that. I guess it makes sense. With it, with the Hydra never give up slogan echoing in your head, page five doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Madam Hydra executes the guy for failing to kill Cap, but arguably she should kill him for just abandoning the mission. Yeah, they all just leave. That makes no sense. Mm-hmm. Didn't make any sense to me, anyway. Uh, pages six through eight are a very weird change of pace. Instead of hunting down the people who just tried to kill him and furthering the plot, Cap stops by Avengers Mansion to show Rick some old movies of him and Bucky in action, ostensibly to make Rick a better Bucky, but actually just making him feel like crap. Granted, Bucky's a whiner throughout this entire issue, as well as being somebody who opens other people's mail, so making him feel good wouldn't be on my list of priorities. In fact, why does Cap even want Rick for a partner? No idea. This was just glossed over in the last issue, and I did think it would be expanded upon in the subsequent issues, but it's just taken as read now that Rick's Cap's partner in training, isn't it? Mm. And why call him Bucky? Yeah. Cap doesn't want another Bucky. Rick doesn't want to be another Bucky, so why do you call him a different name? Didn't make a lick of sense, this. It's not like Captain America and Bucky are as famous as Batman and Robin. Well, it's not like Rick can complain that he's called him Bucky since he's wearing Bucky's outfit and, you know, demanded to wear it. <laughs> Rookie. Yeah. And it's like, in the last chapter, Rick demanded to be Bucky, and now Cap is trying to make him Bucky, but Rick doesn't want to be Bucky. Because that makes loads of sense. In that not-at-all kind of way. Yeah. Yeah. I demand to be your partner, but I kind of don't want to. Stop making me feel bad, man. (laughs) The art's lovely, though. Um, The monochromatic shots of Cap and Bucky are well-realised, and Steranko does another one of those panel layouts where Cap moves across what is ostensibly a still frame, but by breaking the panels into four, there's a definite illusion of movement. What's even better about this one is Cap appears twice in panels. Yeah. Which kind of gives fluidity to what he's doing. But then the last panel, right? Yeah. If anyone landed like that, you know, he's got his tiptoes on the ground and he's, he's bent back so that his head, his head is almost heels. touching the floor. If yeah. you landed like that, you'd snap your neck, man. Not if you were Captain America. Or maybe that accident made him break his back. And so we have Catfall. <laughs> and then Cat Cap Quest. Quest. <laughs> Cap's end. Rick becomes Captain America. Oh, please no. But then, right? Oh, Rick Jones is Captain he America. He becomes too violent in his not wanting to be Bucky that he starts killing people and Cap has to come back with the help of the Avengers to take him down. Wow. I would watch that movie. Mm. But I'd watch any movie with the Avengers in it, especially if Joss Whedon directs it. Uh, page 9 through 10. After opening Cap's mail, which I think should get him kicked out of the superhero union, we get a double-page spread of Rick's hallucination, which isn't quite as trippy as one would expect from a 1960s comic. Sure, the image of Bucky's skin being pulled off is nice and horrific, but this isn't as oomph-filled as other Steranko layouts. What makes this is the lack of individual panels and the white background. Did you like that, boy? Yeah. Did you like those two? Yeah. I thought they were pretty damn awesome. I was going to say, as a piece of art, I thought you would appreciate that. Yeah. Where the skull 
Bucky's face just turns into a skull and then this flesh melts off. Mm. This is why I picked this. Purely from an artistic point well, of view, I thought you'd appreciate that. His flesh doesn't really melt off like Rick pulls it off. Yeah, and then, or, or he blows up. It's not... God damn it, Rick. He's messing everything up. Yeah, Rick's just Rick's just terrible. Stole his clothes, now he's stealing his face. <laughs> Which he is, <laughs> essentially, isn't he? Page 11. So last issue, the Avengers had alarms in the sewers. This issue, two Hydra mooks can walk into Avengers Mansion unmolested. Yeah. With no problems whatsoever. No. And it makes sense, did it? No. No, not at all. Uh, pages 12 through 13 are stunning. A double page spread, again, still rare for the time, sees Cap leap into battle with the Hydra mooks who open fire in the street. It's an actual beautiful image, gloriously cinematic without crying out that it wants to be a movie. It's great. Mm. Really liked it. A lot of Kirby in that, though. Yeah, I want to know where they keep those guns. They need to have specially made holsters for them. Uh, they must do, but they don't seem to be wearing them. Maybe they've got shoulder holsters yeah. and they're under the coats. I can live with that. Or maybe they're so confident in the fact that they can just waltz into Avengers Mansion and they just carry them out. <laughs> well, they, they pulled it off. Yeah. So. Well, it's it's American. The kid just waltz around them. I think carrying a gun on the street is still against the law. Oh, put it in a paper bag, it'll be fine. <laughs> no, that's alcoholics. <laughs> uh, page 14, the comics code were asleep at the wheel this month. In addition to Madame Hydra murdering the guy who failed earlier, and the fact that the attempt on Steve's life was definitely with real guns, not stun guns, here the Hydra mooks murder their own man. It's off-panel, but the shot of the man's hand grasping at Cap's tunic as he dies is even more chilling than seeing him gunned down. Mm. That page is miscoloured in my annual, which is a shame. It's like the pink's all been bled out, hasn't it? Mm. So Cap's basically wearing a red and green outfit instead of a red, white and blue one. Well, uh, maybe uh, he wants to have a bit of a change? No, that's just a colour plate slipping in the printing process. Gay pride day, you know? (laughs) That would totally work. <laughs> Bury up to page fifteen. Now this is where it starts falling to pieces a bit. What do you mean starting? All right, fair enough. Uh, page fifteen. The Hydra mooks take Rick all the way to Hydra HQ, where they analyse him to see he's got no weapons, and then decide to kill him in the disposal room. Yeah. Why not just kill him in the first place instead of going to all the effort of lugging him to Hydra HQ and I, killing him there? I don't know why they had to lug him to Hydra HQ to decide he had no weapons on him. Can they just search him? Well, given that he was unconscious. Yeah. Yeah. It would have made much more sense to kill him mm. instead of killing the, the Hydra agent that they did kill. Yeah. That seems a bit wasteful to me. Are you going to want to work for Hydra if you know that they could kill you at any minute? Probably not, no. It doesn't, it doesn't make Unless a lot of sense. Unless the really well. A dental Unless, plan in there. Yeah, they've got medical. <laughs> like Latveria. Yeah. <laughs> um, if taking him was so important, which it isn't, they should have just killed him. Yeah. This this did not make a lick of sense. Page 16, I am Mancula, created to kill the enemies of Hydra. What if the enemies are women? You get a free pass. Does Mancula not kill you? No. If you're a woman? You get a free pass. He started working on a woman killer. <laughs> but Madam Hydra had that, had that nixed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just What it does is, they, they, they say, here, can, can you go and kill this person? It says, no, you need to pay more attention to my wants and needs. <laughs> I'll do whatever you want to do provided it's what I want to do yeah yeah fair enough is that, well who do you want to kill so I don't want to I'm not bothered who do you want me to kill <laughs> well who do you want to kill <laughs> 
Pages uh, 16 through 18 are again a wonderfully choreographed fight scene with Cat being on the back foot for most of the fight due to the implacable nature of the man-killer. How he defeats it up close and personal at the top of page 19 is a fine example of Cap thinking on his feet. I do wonder why the man-killer is wearing pants. Does he have genitalia? I'm reminded of the Terminator, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. When talking about the Terminator, as I always said that the admiring glances when he arrives nude are because of his huge packet. My answer to that has always been, why would you give robots genitals at all? Why would you do that? What's that scene in Terminator 2 mm-hmm. with the idea that he's a Ken doll down there? Right. And it plays completely differently. <laughs> it's actually hysterical yeah. to watch it with that in your head. It's brilliant. <laughs> or at least I think it is. Uh, page 19. All the players come together at the end in a satisfying manner. <laughs> Can't believe I said that sentence with a straight face. And Saranko does a decent job of ratcheting it up the tension as everyone is heading towards the uh, the final confrontation. I thought that was quite well done. Mm. The, the Everybody was approaching this in from different directions. So Madame Hydra was heading towards Cap. Cap was being pushed towards where he was going to be yeah. in his fight with Mankiller. Bucky, sorry, Rookie, was on his way to fight Cap. Was that like Rulkin Rookie? Yeah, Rookie. Rulkin Rookie. That would be awful. Uh, but page 19, the ending's rushed. Hydra simply decides to bail out again. Mm. Hydra never retreats, apparently. Oh, no. um, Rick just hangs around and doesn't even try to pursue them, although presumably knows where the base is now, having escaped from it. The cops arrive incredibly quickly, and then we get a big reveal that Steve Rogers was a Mission Impossible-style mask. The ending was quite good, though, which does make you want to continue reading the story and see what happens, but it, it did feel, feel a bit rushed at the end, didn't it? Perhaps we will learn in the next issue. Yeah, the British reprint has got the next issue blurb replaced with perhaps we will learn with the next chapter, Yeah, which makes sense, because we're not waiting a month to turn a page. No. To be honest. Uh, the issue wasn't as good as the first and doesn't hold up as well. Whilst the art is still stunning and innovative, it's just not as stunning and innovative as it was last issue and the story doesn't hold water at all when analysed closely it also feels like Stan wrote it not Steranko Steranko's pacing is also a little off with an interlude in the middle that slows the story down but all the protagonists closing in on the arcade is well done and exciting and for all its flaws the ending does make you want to read more do you not have any comments? it was entertaining enough there was quite a bit of flaws in there. Yeah, well, I picked it for the art, really. Yeah. Because you, you were a fan of Steranko when we did Superman 400. And then the strange character changes with Rick Jones now not wanting to be Bucky and going off in a moody And Cap wanting time. him to be Bucky. Yeah, every time someone wants him to be Bucky, he just buggers <laughs> off and cries. Like he's in a teenage drama show. Cap 113 featured the conclusion The Strange Death of Captain America, at least Steranko Palmer Simic production. Now I know what you're thinking, and you're right, but Andrew, you're thinking, you've missed an issue. Now, lovely listeners, you would be exactly right. See, Steranko was one of those amazing but slow artists, and with the deadline looming, Lee asked Jack Kirby to knock out a filler issue that they could run in place that didn't further the story along in any way, but meant that they didn't have to run a reprint. Lee gave Kirby a brief summary of what happened in issue issue 111. Kirby asked if Lee wanted Cap resurrected. Lee said no, and Kirby produced the issue over a weekend. To be fair, it's not a bad issue, but it breaks up the flow of the story and is not included in my annual. The fact that you can skip straight over to issue 113 and not even know an issue was missing shows how dispensable it truly is. 
Cover to the original issue has Rick grieving at the graveside of Cap as Hydra agents round on his unsuspecting form. Moody and well coloured, it may actually be my favourite cover of the lot. Did you look at the cover? Yeah. I like that one. As the moon hangs in the background. It's a good cover, that. The story for it was thus. Whilst they find no body, the police fish the remains of Cap's costume from the river. The media are more interested in the mask of Steve Rogers and wonder if his death will mean they will never learn who Captain America really was. Watching the live broadcast, Madame Hydra ponders the path that has brought her here, from the worn, torn streets of her youth to the scarring of her face to her assassination of the Hydra upper echelons. But she can never escape her own self-loathing. Over at Avengers Mansion, Rick tries to tell the Avengers, in this incarnation, Thor, Black Panther, Hawkeye, The Vision and Iron Man, how Cap met his death, but he's too choked up. The Avengers decide that Nick Fury should be the man to deliver Cap's eulogy, and thus it comes to pass. But at Cap's funeral, Nick Fury pulls out a card from Cap's casket that emits a gas that fills the room and renders the guests, including the Avengers, unconscious. The funeral parlour staff turn out to be Hydra agents and spirit the bodies away. Rick Jones arrives to the funeral parlour late and sees Hydra load a number of caskets into different hearses and he follows them to the cemetery where Hydra are burying the Avengers alive. The fiends. Rick gets captured before he can do anything because, let's face it, he's rather useless. Before he can take a dirt nap, a motorcycle zooms over their heads and a red, white and blue clad figure leaps into the fray. Captain America lives. Dun, 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 dun. Anyway, Cap manoeuvres as the Hydra moves around the bike and after a few socks to the jaw he orders Rick to grab a pistol and fire at the motorcycle. Loaded with a special combustible mixture, the motorcycle explodes, killing the Hydra agents. Madam Hydra flees and under the Hydra code must forfeit her own life. But she isn't done yet. She opens fire with some hunter missiles she just happened to have lying around. But Cap and Rick evade them and oddly they target Madame Hydra, not the huge mass of burning terrorists that should still be raging. Cap explains that it was an inflatable figure that was shot and fell into the water and now no one knows the man behind the mask. Captain America has a secret identity once more. Page one. Again, Steranko's layout for the splash page is wonderful. The full page is the reporter and the cameraman with the sequence of events depicted as TV images right down the middle of the page. Absolutely great storytelling. I thought I thought it was really good. The camera's Kirby Tech as well, isn't it? Yeah. Did you notice the symbol on the camera was the logo for the CBS network in yeah. America? And this really weird when they do that, because we've mentioned this before. In Civil War, they were all real. Yeah. And then in all the stories that we've seen, they're always fictional. Mm. How does that work, then? Different does it have to be in the public domain to use it? Or don't make sense, does it? It uh. seems very, very arbitrary mm. when they will use real news station idents and when they'll use fictional ones. Um, whichever ones will whichever ones charge won't sue. too much. <laughs> I mean, That's if, if CBS are alright with it, then yeah, they'll run for it. But say, um, Purely it's good advertising for them. But say CNN like, wants... Like, £500. Yeah, then they won't do it. They won't pay. They'll change it. Alright. Um, the Hydra does... There is a little logic illogicality. A little plot illogicality here. How does the robot know about Madame Hydra? Issue 111 was her first appearance, and she's never been seen in public. Mm. And she doesn't look like Doctor Doom. She doesn't look like the kind of person who holds a press conference. No. Doom will announce his plan to the world as to how I'm going to kill you all. Yeah. <laughs> Madame Hydra doesn't look like she does that kind of thing. No. Even though she has an origin very suspiciously similar 
mm. to Doctor Do. Pages two through four, speaking of which, Madame Hydra's origin. Flashbacks are masterfully used. The colouring is exceptionally good on these two pages, all greens and reds. And we get a fantastic Doctor Doom moment where she smashes a mirror rather than look at herself. We never actually see what happens to her, just that she's the victim of a revolution in some war-torn dusty country and was disfigured somehow before becoming the head of Hydra. I suspect she'd get on quite well with Doom. Yeah. Doom likes her! <laughs> Doom is in a relationship with Madame Hydra. (laughs) The disfigured head of Hydra. (laughs) And the disfigured head of Latveria. Yeah. What sweet music they could make. Mm, Madame Doom. (laughs) Madame Doom likes this. (laughs) I just see the Facebook page, which is just lots of photos of them being all lovey-dovey whilst they're killing people. The Bonnie and Clyde of the Marvel Universe. Valentine's Day since you're rehearsing the box. <laughs> that would be awesome. Page five and six, the Avengers ask Rick what happened, despite it being all over the news. Mm. Granted, they may want a first-hand account, but given that Comics Death 101 proclaims that if no body has been found, then the dead probably still live. Seems a bit naive that the Avengers assume Cap is dead, at the very least dredge the river themselves before burying the guy. Surely Iron Man's got some underwater armour. Well, none of them seem to care too much. Tell us how he died. He was a friend of ours, but... But if you don't want to talk about yeah, it, yeah. that's okay. Fine, don't we, worry we about it. Yeah, we can wait. It doesn't matter. Right. His eulogy's only later on today. Don't, yeah. don't, don't fret. Rick's putting his music on again. <laughs> Let's go out, guys. Is that Gerard way I hear? <laughs> emanating from upstairs. Should we go to the pub? <laughs> Tony Stark's like, alcohol problem, dude. <laughs> um, Everyone else is like, Rick Jones' problem, dude. <laughs> Let's go drink. <laughs> uh, there's a lovely panel on page five. It's the long one in the middle of the page, that one, though, mm. where Rick's domino mask is in the foreground, taking up the full width of the image, and through the eye holes we see Rick leave the room. Yeah, which I thought was quite nice. Page six, Storenko again does the moving panel trick with one large panel being broken up into four smaller ones to illustrate movement. This time it's Thor's hammer that provides the impetus for you to follow it with your eye line. Mm-hmm. Which again, Thor looked a bit off. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think Storenko did a particularly good Thor. I don't know why. Mm. It, just, it just didn't strike me as a good one. I don't know why they're in full costume. Because <laughs> they're just bumming around in the mansion. They used to do it in full costume back in the day. They never took the costumes off. So none of them chilled. No, never did. They were always on duty. Even oh, really? Clint Barton. Hard to believe, I know. Yeah, when, when he's not stealing things. When he's not stealing... Bro. <laughs> <laughs> um, pages 7 and 8. But no, the Avengers and Nick Fury, who gives quite a nice speech, proceed with Cap's funeral. There isn't a funeral, because the funeral isn't until tomorrow, so God knows what this is. Sharon Carter shows up to weep, and none of the Avengers or Nick Fury's super spy notice the crowd of people at what is presumably a private farewell before the main funeral tomorrow. Nobody felt that was odd. I don't know how or why they're all going to this funeral if it's actually tomorrow. And Rick Jones doesn't know about this one because he thinks it's tomorrow. Um, no, he says later on, I'm going to go to the chapel and say goodbye. But the funeral is where you say goodbye. I really didn't understand that. But doesn't he show up the next day? Yeah. Like, say I didn't think it was until tomorrow. Yeah, maybe they just didn't tell Rick. They <laughs> <laughs> just didn't want him though. Yeah. Which is perfectly understandable, yeah. given the circumstances. Um, page 9, Fury pulls the card out, which gasses them all. 
Why was the vision gassed? I thought he was an android. He is. Does he breathe? I don't know. I wouldn't have thought that androids breathed. Well, no, because he flies out in space, doesn't he? Yeah, so that, that seems a bit silly to me, but what do I know? Page 10. Apparently Avengers didn't notice the wall of extra coffins that Hydra brought. Yeah. That also well, made very little sense. It's, it's a funeral home, isn't it? Uh, I suppose so. Alright, go on, I'll no prize that for you. That's good. But there is the other thing about why would they store the funeral, the, the, the coffins in the room where they have the funeral? Why would the animals stood up against the wall? Yeah. Just for them to put new bodies in. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very economical funeral. Just throw the next body in. Next! Next! Do, do you not want to put him in a suit? No, nope, throw him in the box. <laughs> Uh, pages 12 and 13 is simply magnificent a double page spread of Cap diving off his motorcycle to stop the Hydra mooks from burying the Avengers alive it's a glorious image with the low hanging moon and subtle covering, colouring and it's just the beginning of the action scene that ends the issue with Steranko making up for the logicalities of plot by pulling out all the stops with the art page 15 following on from the two page spread we get a full page splash of Cap the Hydra bodies piling high, dodging bullets and taking no prisoners. It's pretty fair to say it's the art that carries this. Yeah. Isn't it? Page 16, Cap murders the Hydra terrorists. Well, alright, Rick does. One does have to question the logic of Cap driving a motorcycle through the streets of New York with highly combustible fuel. But I did like that Cap was a take-no-prisoners kind of guy in this one. Hydra have killed and will kill again, and Cap has no problem putting them down. I kind of had a problem with him getting Rick to do it, yeah. instead of doing it himself. You hold the guilty conscience. Yeah. Here, here, teenage boy, you murder the terrorists. Yes, the terrorists, they're bad men. But I'll let you deal with your conscience. <laughs> you want to be Bucky, don't you? <laughs> well, being Bucky involves killing people. <laughs> Bucky had no problem with that. <laughs> so if you want to be Bucky, kill people. <laughs> so, any port in a storm, innit? Yeah. Um, Page 17. Where the hell did Madame Hydra pull that hunter missile launcher from? Her behind. It's not small. They weren't expecting trouble. And it's not like she's wearing anything that could conceal Yeah, her. and it looks like it takes a while to set up. Surely that would have been time better spent, I don't know, running away. Yeah. That would have made much more sense. Well, as Cap stood there, you know, with his pipe. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> with his iPod while she's assembling it. It's like, you ready yet? Couple more minutes. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> we'll wait. It's all right. <laughs> We'll wait while you set up the missiles that you're going to shoot at us. Duranko sat there watching. Can you hurry up, please? Got a deadline. He draws it from life. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Page 18. uh, This page made no sense. The Hunter missiles are attracted to body heat, according to Rick. So Cap and Rick duck into a grave and the missiles go over their heads. Okay, I'll buy that. But one, there is a much larger source of heat nearby. The burning Hydra bodies were caught in an explosion that covered half the cemetery, yeah. judging by the artwork. And two, Madame Hydra apparently ran in the direction of the missiles instead of going the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Maybe she just couldn't be bothered anymore. <laughs> Maybe she was like, right, there's only two pages left. Bad guy has to die. Oh, what the hell. 
And two heads and all that. Yeah, I'll grow another one at some point. Page 19 and 20 is the final two-page spread. It's pretty damn good, again, with Cap and Rick posing heroically. What I especially liked about this was that Cap dresses in civilian garb and leaves without us seeing his face. Yeah. Which is a pretty neat end in setting up that Cap has a secret identity again. But in our annual, it splits two pages. Of- yes, it's got them back-to-back instead of being... Yeah. Side by side, which kind of hurts the design of it. A little bit. But, you know, what Maybe can you, you do? Put a in the middle. Oh, why did they not put the page here of the three covers here? Would that not ruin the story? It wouldn't, no, because that two page spread would then have been on two pages that were next to each other. What if they put like a poster <laughs> or something in the middle? Yeah, just something like that. Yeah. Um, so. Did Cap put on his own uniform on the inflatable doll that he threw into the river? And if so, did he walk home naked? Or did he carry a spur uniform with him to put on the inflatable before throwing it in the river? And if he did, did he plant the inflatable on the roof? Or did he pump it up when he got there? Which means he had to have known that the chase would take them to that particular roof. Maybe he has disposable bodies everywhere. <laughs> he has them all over his contingency plan. Instead of bat caves. Yeah. Cap caves. He has dead yes. bodies yeah. everywhere. Um, it just about works if you look at the last issue knowing how it all ends. Mm. It's still far too convenient though, isn't it? A lot of this is. Uh, uh, to, yeah, to be honest. It's not that it's not a good plan, but there's too many little problems with the finale and it seems far too convenient that he set all this up to happen in just this way at just that right time. Yeah. It seems very, very forward planning for this. I mean, when did he decide to wear the Steve Rogers mask? Has he been wearing it all the time? Wearing a Steve Rogers mask over his Steve Rogers face? Yeah, (laughs) under his Captain America mask. Would he not be hot? Well, it's, you know... I didn't get that. However, if you can ignore all these issues, there's a lot to love here. Steranko's art is as pop art inspired and as fluid as ever, even if his scripting leaves a lot to be desired. And it's not even noticeable that there is a different inker. Remarkable when you consider that the inker is Tom Palmer, an excellent artist, to be sure, but one who tends to overpower people's pencils. The story moves along as a decent clip that glosses over the problems, such as the funeral issues and how dumb the Avengers can be, and it does provide a decent end to what... I thought was a, a really enjoyable trilogy. Mm-hmm. What did you think, seeing as I picked that one for you? Well, it was entertaining. Just what do you think of the art? Real, that's, that's what well, I it relies very on, heavily on the art. But I thought the art was pretty great. I, I didn't think there was much in a, a special about it, but the panel layouts were what sold it, really. He was very ahead of his time. Hmm. And hugely influential. And I don't think he gets his due in the way that, say, Neil Adams does. Yeah. I think he was every bit as innovative as Neil Adams, but doesn't seem to get the plaudits that Neil Adams gets. Mm. Maybe because Neil Adams stuck with comics and Steranko didn't. Yeah. It's worth checking out his um, storyboards for Raiders of the Lost Ark, his original conceptual art, because they're fantastic. They really are very, very good. Uh, Well, that brings this one to an end again. We've gone over 90 minutes. Sorry about that. I do apologise. Three issues. Next time on an all-new episode of Hey Kids Comics, it's Michael. Yeah. It's all you next week. It is. It's all about you. It is. It's great. It's all about you. I get to bask in my ego. It's all about you, baby. If there's anything more important than my ego, I want it caught and shot now. Well, I'm sorry, but there's... uh, 
Rules, yes. Yeah, next week it's your ego. It is, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Next week it's Metal Gear Solid Part 1, for which I'm reading Metal Gear Solid comics and playing Metal Gear Solid computer games. So if you've never played it before and have no interest, just skip the next two weeks. <laughs> no, I'm sure they'll be great. Yeah. All right. I'm sure they will. I'm sure they'll be fantastic. Um, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us. Bye-bye. Goodbye. used in the show are copyright their respective copyright holders and are used for review and illustrative purposes only and no infringement is intended so don't send your phalanx of highly paid lawyers after us as we have no money. Certainly this show was not turned into a lucrative revenue stream as no money is made from this either which vexes us. The opinions of Michael and Andrew expressed in the show are the opinions of Michael and Andrew and no one else. They own them, cherish them and look after them but are probably not to be taken too seriously. New episodes drop every Thursday at twotruefreaks.com and Hey Kids Comics is a part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, your one-stop shop for a plethora of truly fine shows. Join in the fun. We have a website where you can see the covers of the comics we've covered at www.heykidscomics.webspace.virginmedia.com and we can be emailed directly at heykidscomics at virginmedia.com. We can also be friended on Facebook by using Hey Kids, all one word as the first name, and Comics as the surname. We also have a forum, www.forumforgeeks.com. We do hope you enjoyed this episode of Hey Kids Comics. Hey Kids Comics.